even though we had 300,000, to me, it's not about the numbers, right? To me, it's about effectiveness of that audience. Affiliate marketing rewards small audiences. If anything, if they're doing online business and wanting to jump into it, affiliate marketing is actually better than other ways to monetize. Welcome to The Fi Show, where you get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Financial Independence Show, where today we have on Larry Ludwig, who previously founded a website called Investor Junkie, focused on personal finance, which he then ended up selling for $6 million, and Larry is just a king of all things websites. But before we get into his story, let me check in my co-host, Justin. What is going on, man? Hey, Cody, just heading back to Austin after two weeks up in Park City. Uh, my buddy's got this amazing place right next to the uh, the lifts in Park City. You can just walk right over to the canyon side if you're familiar with that. And they got like four feet of snow two weeks in a row. Like it's just an insane amount of snow up here. It's been awesome. And it's so cool to be that close because then you can just like walk over and, and do an hour runs before you need to do some calls. Like you can really mix it in. And so it's been nice. I mean, I've still been working while I've been up here for sure, but uh, getting a good bit of skiing in. But I'm excited to get back home so I can actually, uh, you know, play around with the Tesla that I bought right before I came out here uh, <laughs> that I've only got to drive for like one day. So well, how about you, Cody? Definitely jealous about the skiing. It has been a dismal winter so far in Massachusetts. We've just been getting like, we'll get a little bit of snow, like maybe an inch or two, and then it will all melt and then it will become ice. So all the mountains around here have just had absolutely <laughs> terrible conditions, have definitely not got enough use out of my Icon Pass so far. In a couple of weeks, though, we are going to get some use out of it going up to Banff in Canada, and then we're going to be going to Colorado for the last two weeks of March. So we'll actually have some real snow and not this all this fake snow and the, the two inches that melts away immediately. Dry January is still going strong for me. And I noticed that like every week has just been getting better. I've been like more mentally clear, more focused, getting more projects done on the weekend. It's It's been uh, definitely a net positive overall and excited for the next two weeks. And like I mentioned in the past episode to see how far it continues and just to kind of just like decrease alcohol consumption in general. All right, Justin, well, that's enough about us and what we've got going on. Let's talk about our awesome guest for today, Larry Ludwig. So as I mentioned before, Larry is just a website wizard. He, I think, has been on the internet working on things, building websites, figuring out how things work longer than I've been alive. So he knows just so much about like the back end of websites and search and Google and all these things. We kind of really dive in at a very high level, just like understanding, even if you're not someone who owns a business, just understanding how like Google works and how you might get targeted for like the perfect video on YouTube or the perfect blog article or the perfect ad. Like we kind of get into the the back end of that stuff, which is really interesting. And full disclosure, Larry, I actually got introduced to him. He's been a consultant for me and Julie at Gold City Ventures for about a year or a year and a half. And man, he just knows everything when it comes to analytics and growing a business and getting seen online. So if you're someone who owns a business or is thinking about owning a business or starting a side hustle, this is definitely an episode that you should be listening to. And even if you're someone who has no ambition of starting a side hustle, starting a business, kind of understanding the back end, the workings of websites and search results, it's still a really interesting episode to kind of see how all that stuff unfolds. So it's something that I had no idea about until I dove into entrepreneurship. Yeah, and it was cool to see with Larry, he's obviously been around for a long time and this space changes so much, but he's obviously always like educating himself. And I think that's a lesson that everyone could kind of take away from an episode like this is that whatever industry you're in, it's always important to just keep learning and stay in the curve because there's always going to be nuances and changes. And that's also the great thing about owning your own website is 
a lot of times people will try to build their presence only on something like social media and then those algorithms can change or, you know, the next app comes along and kind of takes place of the other one. But your websites can generally stand the test of time and it's something you truly own versus, you know, a Facebook or an Instagram or someone else kind of owning your story. And it's also cool to bring in someone who is an expert in SEO, but specifically with a background in like personal finance for everyone listening. So whether you're someone who is actually like going to think about starting a business and want to learn more about it from that angle, it's just something you're generally curious about. Or maybe you know someone who is thinking about starting a business. You can find all the details from the episode and the links to follow along with Larry or share this episode with someone at thefyshow.com slash Larry. That's thefyshow.com slash L-A-R-R-Y. Take it away, Larry. Believe it or not, I started, geez, in 1994 when the web was literally just starting. I actually have a web page. I went to the Wayback Machine a few years ago to check it out and still it's up there. And it was my first web page I created just to fool around with HTML and just figuring out how the web really worked. One of my first online entrepreneurship ventures was to create like an online guide for Lone Island. So I live on Lone Island and figured why not create a tourist guide and maybe attract advertisers. It didn't really go anywhere in the end, but that was my first foray into the online venture world. And whether it maybe be like kind of like a theory or a concept, I don't know. Is there anything that you think people kind of miss out on who are jumping in today versus like the way you've seen the technology grow? Do you think that experience like adds something to your ability for all this? I mean, since I've been around so long, it has the OG of OGs. <laughs> Does it add anything? Yeah, because you see fads go, come and go. I mean, right now, obviously, social media is really big. And not to say social media is going to go away. In the end, I mean, my biggest concern is it's something you don't own. And it's something I think a lot of people who venture into social media you know, don't think about it. It's a risk of one day you have a channel and the next minute it could be literally shut off for even unknown reasons. And it's just kind of a scary thing in my eyes. So from a business perspective, it's something I'd rather not build on quicksand. I'd rather build on something that at least has more foundation like a blog or email. And that's not to say you shouldn't still use social media without question, but it shouldn't be totally relied on. So at what point, obviously in 1994, you probably weren't too focused on the SEO of that webpage that you built. At what point did you start taking like the online world as a serious business venture and start thinking about things like SEO and building a brand? Well, SEO even came much, much further years later. I mean, I built a hosting business in 1999, owned it for about 15 years before shutting it down. And from that, I guess I got burned by, I hired a company that really, the genesis of for me getting into SEO and becoming an SEO expert was the whole issue of I paid someone to do consulting for my hosting firm and yielded no results from it. And at the time, I didn't understand how competitive hosting was as a business for SEO. And from that, spent a lot of money on SEO consulting and got zero results. So that really made me want to understand and become more of an expert in SEO because of why am I paying someone who I thought was sounded intelligent, sounded like they knew what they were talking about, but in the end yielded zero results. So from that, wound up becoming more and more understanding of how SEO works and built a blog on top of that to cater to my expertise and really built it not only as a demonstration of hosting, but also as ability to showcase my SEO talents. And obviously it sounds a lot easier when you just say like, okay, they didn't know how to do it. So I went and did it. But like, what did you actually do to kind of educate yourself and learn? I mean, I'm sure a lot of it was trial and error. Like, what did that look like for you to 
go out there and test things. And like, how are you seeing the changes? You know, like, how are you doing testing and that sort of thing to figure out the changes you were making were making a difference? Well, the key insight that really got me, I actually had the blog. So for prior history, I owned a blog called Investor Junkie that I eventually sold. And we can probably get into that if you want. But that being said, it took me about a year and a half to really understand how SEO worked in that I guess my biggest issue was when they go search on Google and YouTube applies the same way, is they're looking to solve a problem. And most people don't think of it. I originally wrote articles that may have interested me, but didn't have any SEO intent. So you really got to focus on SEO intent. And that means writing articles of what's the best investments of 2022, or what's the best robo-advisor, or how to start investing, right? Things that people will search for, they're actually search volume on that. Whereas I was writing articles on, what would be a good example? Probably like, you're a fool to prepay your mortgage. And that really didn't have you know, good SEO intent. Maybe the better way would have been, don't prepay your real estate mortgage or something like that. It would have been a better way to write the article. But it didn't have any volume from it. So therefore, it really took a while to understand what was the best articles to write. Now there's actually tools like Ahrefs and SEMrush that really help facilitate that. But back then when I started, there were no tools. You had a really, the only tool available was actually Google's own free tool for paid traffic. You'd use that for guesstimating what you know, the search volume would be for that keyword. So I definitely do want to dig into Investor Junkie. I think it's going to be a really good kind of case study talking about SEO. But before we kind of dive into all things SEO and search, and can we just go like 30,000 feet up and define SEO and like what it actually means? So I think a lot of people will just go into a search engine, whether it's Google or YouTube or Pinterest, and they'll just you know type in what they're looking for. Things come up, they click on it. End of story. They don't really understand like the inner workings and all the things that are going on in the background. So we could just take like a 10,000, 30,000 foot view and define SEO. Well, SEO stands for search engine optimization. I mean, the best analogy I've always used, people mostly think about Google and you have to compete against Google when you're right, making your article for be SEO optimized. When reality is you're really optimizing against others. So it's not like you have to run the bear. You have to just outrun others. You have to be just faster than others. So ultimately, SEO is about writing content that you're really competing against others out there, you know, existing articles. Really, Google only knows it exists in the web, and that's it. So if you can write a better article, in the eyes of Google, that is, and or for the users, but if you write a better article, you should be ranking better ultimately in the end. From a 30,000-foot view, you're really writing articles for users in the end. You're really writing to make something that's helpful compared to what else is out there. And that's really what the best thing to do is look at what's existing in search. And if that search content you think is horrible, that's a great opportunity to write a better article. And that kind of conversation you talk about, you just got to outrun the person next to you. It makes me think, I'm sure a lot of people who get started get frustrated because you've got the CNBCs, the market watches of the world. And a lot of times the articles are not really that good. Like it's just like kind of short articles that don't really get anything earth shattering. Like you read it and like, I didn't even learn anything, but it's all the top results because they're just pumping out so much content. They have such a presence on the web for somebody getting started. Like, how do you have a fair fight to outrun the guy next to you when they've got such a footprint? That's a great question. I mean, and this is a common mistake too, is people will go for, let's use it in my space. I'm right now in the online digital marketing, affiliate marketing space. A lot of people would go for the keyword affiliate marketing, when reality is that's such a hard, really difficult keyword to rank for. The chances of me ranking, even for me, for someone who has a good domain authority, it's pretty hard to do. So ultimately, you're better going for longer-tailed keywords. And that longer-tailed means is just more keywords in the, the actual search. 
And the better example is how to start affiliate marketing with no money is one of the articles I recently wrote. And it's ranking really well, but yet gets, I think, 2,000 visitors a month. And therefore, it's much easier to rank for than just purely affiliate marketing. And the intent for affiliate marketing could mean all sorts of other things that you may not want for your search results or for your article or for your own web page, let's say for as far as intent is concerned, or as far as getting people to sign up for a mailing list or a course or whatever your end goal may be. You really got to focus on that intent. In some cases, longer tail keywords are better off because of the not only easier to rank for, but ultimately are less volume and much more specific, much more actionable. You can go out and get people for how to start affiliate marketing with no money without question is more actionable than just affiliate marketing, where someone might be just thinking about affiliate marketing or really not understanding what it means. And therefore looking up that definition where I'd rather have someone who's wanting to start you know, affiliate marketing in this case with no money. <laughs> and so it sounds like right now we're focusing on title, like title and the intent of the user and making sure the title matches that. What are some of the other things that I guess it could be a blog or I guess this could also pertain to YouTube or other search engines. What are some other things that you can do to make sure that you have the right people coming to your stuff other than the title? That's a good question. Google does look at the title quite a bit. I mean, there's other factors. I mean, it's been said there's two to 300 different metrics that Google uses for search. For other things like YouTube and other channels that have search, that's a good question. I haven't really thought about that. So I was thinking maybe like, YouTube, for example, has tags or blog posts have categories, making sure everything's structured right. Like I'm sure those all kind of play into the game of, is this the best search result for the user, right? I mean, that's part of it, right? It's then structure. In this case of an actual blog or website, structure is part of it. And something we've talked about, you know, just full disclosure, I'm consulting for Cody as far as his website, buildcityventures.com. That being said, there are definitely ways to structure a site to make it Google understand that this site is about X, Y, and Z topics. And making sure that Google's aware that you're about this and not about other things. A good example is the new owners of my site, InvestorJunkie.com, wanted to write about credit cards, but yet I never spoke about credit cards at all on the site. And the chances of me ranking or for them ranking for credit cards content is almost zero. Because if there was no content, it's a very competitive keyword. And you need a lot of domain authority, domain knowledge, in this case means articles, to rank for that. So that means you really start going really deep on said topics before you're going out and going to discuss other topics as well. If you really dabble in, well, I'm going to talk about this, that, and the other thing on your website, the chances of you ranking for any of them are pretty hard. That applies to be it Google, YouTube, or any other search engine. As we talk about like titles and you know the subject matter that you're going to cover, those feel like fairly strategic things that people should put a decent amount of time into. But my bet is that there's a lot of people who actually end up what holds them back, what they waste a bunch of time on, or what keeps them from you know, putting out more content is getting worried about things like, oh my goodness, like my image file sizes are not the right pixel width, or I've got all my sentences are like multiple lines and they should all be one line and I should have a gap between them or, you know, my URL should look like, what are some of those things that maybe people are really getting hung up on and they're really stressing about that are not really the first things you should be worrying about? A good example, actually, I was just consulting with someone today about this is uh, Yoast and the plugin I recommend, SEO Press, very similar, have a tool that says, basically, are you all green and various different metrics? And honestly, those metrics don't mean much. So that's one example I would not focus on is like getting all the green and Yoast SEO plugin to say, I'm doing everything right with SEO. That's not really how SEO works. Again, I'd rather have you write an article that 
Okay, another good example would be length of the article. There are tools that will say, well, this article needs to be X amount of keywords or X amount of words in length. And while that's a good starting point, ultimately, you've got to write what satisfies the end user, the reader of that article, and not focus so much on it. It needs X amount of words, or it needs to have these keywords. Google is looking at your other articles out there and competing against those set articles, but you don't have to be exact. You got to make sure instead of everyone else has 2,000 words, writing 2,001 words is not going to make you rank number one for it. <laughs> but that's the way a lot of people look at SEO. Is It's silly as it may sound. That's not the right way to think of SEO. The way to think about SEO is you're trying to help people you know, inform them on whatever topic you're discussing. It depends on the amount of words you need to do it. You might be able to be more efficient in writing in only 1,500 words, whereas someone else may take 3,000 words. And for your end, to me, what's more important is covering the certain topics on that said content, meaning making sure you cover, let's say for affiliate marketing, going back to that example, is how to start affiliate marketing with no money, how to, you know, recommendations to do, how can you start a blog, why is a blog important, stuff like that is more critical than, again, I got to cover X amount of words. So on the flip side of Justin's question, he asked like, what are maybe some relevant things that people are getting hung up on? Are there some like really easy wins, easy quick fixes that most people are getting wrong on websites that's like not helping them rank? Because I'm just thinking of our audience. I'm sure we have like a ton of small business owners and you know, you don't have to be a blogger to like take SEO into account. You can own like a landscaping company. You could be an electrician, a plumber, and you could just be making a silly mistake that's making you not show up in search results because you didn't click a button or because you didn't like add your address on the contact page or like some things like that. So I'd break it down two different ways. For a local business, a business that has a, like a physical storefront, but it also has a website, you could argue in some cases you're actually better off doing paid traffic than SEO. In that the amount of time and effort for you to rank for whatever keywords you're going for, doing a paid ad that costs you pennies on the dollar in a lot of cases might be more efficient of your time and effort just to rank for that said topic. That being said, it's usually also easy to rank easily for very localized SEO. And that's a whole other topic. That being said, people that have online businesses that are national, international, I guess the biggest issue for them to focus on is site structure and intent, making sure your intent is right, meaning who you're writing for, for the article you have, and making sure you're clear in the messaging. It's a very common problem where, okay, good example I get into on a course I have is the intent is different for what is a mortgage and the best mortgage rate, right? The best mortgage rate, the intent is completely different. But yet I've seen many articles will have, what is a mortgage? Again, a very informational, educational article, having rate tables, right? People are not at that part of the sales funnel journey. You got to really think of it in terms of where they're at in their sales journey and making sure you cover the right content and have the appropriate information on that page. And again, instead of ramming down their throat, you know, a rate table, but yet people will do that. I've seen that both on large business and small businesses, no less. So definitely, you know, not to make this like about me or anything like that, but thinking about like a case study and, you know, I'm just curious, like I have a blog where it's more, you know, about myself and about my journey and where I'm kind of, you know, going over my budget every month, for instance, or like what I've spent my money on. So it's not necessarily like this list of topics that you could cover and trying to think about what somebody would maybe necessarily be searching for. If somebody is running something like that, like a lifestyle brand where they're covering their own story. Is it kind of a different set of rules? Like, do they still need to think about the way they're titling each blog if it's kind of this like, consistent series? I mean, a lifestyle blog, I would argue it's not a business then. We'll be right back after a quick word from one of our sponsors. 
Today's sponsor is one I use on a daily basis at my company, Gold City Ventures. That is the sound of a sale in your Shopify store. But did you know that Shopify now also powers in-person selling? Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store or small business. Accept payments, manage inventory, they have everything. Shopify brings together your in-person and online sales business into one source of truth, one dashboard, everything in one place. You know exactly what's going on. And now they have all these customization options. They have plug and play tools that you can integrate with Instagram or TikTok or wherever. You can take your payments by phone or by tablet. Shopify makes it easy. Plus, if you have any questions, their support team is there to help you. I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs in this audience and Shopify POS just breaks down that barrier to accepting payments with your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash show, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash show to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash show. Now back to the show. I mean, that's something I've discussed quite a bit with various people is I'm not against that type of blog at all. If anything, it could be done very well. The problem is it's very hard to find SEO articles for that. Whereas you're almost in effect writing what a lot of people do now via mailing lists, right? Is I have one client who originally did that. They wrote a lot of their own personal journey on their blog, but no one found it because again, SEO intent is just not there. So what they did instead was move that stuff to an email list and then make people come in via proper SEO keywords and intent. And then from there, get them to sign up to the mailing list. And that's where then they have that personal story, that journey. Because email is a much better medium. I have another client of mine who doesn't follow my advice. That being said, they have their SaaS, a software as a service company, and they have all this great content about finance and investing. But really, their SEO terms are horrible. And it's really for people who are already signed up to the mailing list, already signed up for their product, where they're pointing to people these articles where it's not getting SEO traffic. One could argue these should be behind a paywall or behind their login area and have the public area just for SEO content. So really breaking up a site, you got to know who your audience is. is. To your point, I really look at everything as a sales funnel, whether you're actually directly selling a product immediately or possibly down the road. And in your case, that sounds like that's more content that's further down the sales funnel. They're really understanding who you are and what your messaging is about. And you have that necessarily for SEO, where SEO would be like, here's the five tools to reduce your debt, or here's how we can you save money on credit card payments, or something like that. In other words, things that have SEO intent, you put that public facing, your type of content you put on a mailing list or an area that's maybe password protected. So jumping back to Investor Junkie for a second, because I think it's just a great case study. I mean, we have like the beginning and the end, the sale was public, $6 million. You didn't have to And you talked about social media earlier. You didn't have to create a TikTok or a real Larry. You were focused on SEO. So can we kind of talk about the strategy? Like from the very beginning, how you started to build up and how you started to Justin's point earlier, like how did you decide which topics you could be competitive on? And how did you start to like structure the site and create the massive brand that you ended up selling a few years ago? Again, it took me about a year and a half to really get the groove in where, again, I was writing articles that interest me at the time. And again, I originally considered Investor Junkie to be more holistic, to include things like a business, whereas we did surveys to the audience and they were like, we don't want that. We want 401k plans, how to open up a stock market account, what's the review of the various brokerage firms, so forth and so on. So we made very specific articles about reviews, comparisons, how to start investing, things that are very not only actionable for SEO or very good for SEO, but also to have an affiliate conversion at the very end. So the site, instead of being based on advertising, was based on affiliate, which 
if people don't know what that means, it means you don't get paid unless people sign up for that product. So it was by cost per action as opposed to CPC with cost per click, which is most ad banners. So that being said, we would do reviews on various robo-advisors, stockbrokers, various investment products, and it would be positive or negative. And we wouldn't get paid unless they actually signed up for that product. So that's how we've monetized. And we, again, wrote reviews, comparisons, comparisons, going back to longer tail keywords, comparison articles are very long-tailed, low volume, but very high intent. That's really great because people are at the last stages before they convert. You know, they're looking at product X and maybe that they're already aware of product Y or maybe they're not even aware of product Y. They look up in Google X versus Y, find out that information and sign up for whichever product is best suited for them. In our end, we focused on making sure ultimately everyone in the transaction was happy. We didn't get paid again unless we sent the right person to the right product. And so therefore, we made sure the visitor was happy. We made sure we were happy and obviously made sure the merchants, the ones who had the affiliate links, were also happy as well. And we try to make sure we're really conscious of that, that relationship and making sure everyone in that transaction was happy. To me, nothing's worse than having a person who comes to our site sign up for a brokerage account and really hating that service or thinking we lied or misrepresented it. I mean, we would give honest reviews that were detailed and making sure that they really told what the product was and wasn't, and making sure it was right or was not right for them. I mean, a good example for me would be Acorns, right? Acorns was a micro-investing service that you could literally round it up to the next dollar of what you have as far as every transaction. For me, that was a horrible and expensive service, but yet people still signed up for it. Even if we stated that outright in the review, people (laughs) wanted that comfort of that type of service where they didn't have to think about investing, that they're taking everything they spend out on the web or at store, they would round up to the next dollar and automatically invest for you. And people loved that idea, where for me, the, the fees were just too high to make it worth my while. Yeah, I'm glad you kind of took it there, because that's exactly what the kind of follow-up question I was going to ask when you start going down this path is, can people feel empowered to be like authentic about things like that? I feel like so often, because there's so many sites that are about reviews or their experience with something. And if they're comparing three things at the end of the article, they end up just telling you why like all three of them are the best for different reasons. And you're like, well, now I'm still at the square one. And so like, I think letting people know that, hey, it's okay to be authentic. It's okay to actually give a real review and not worry about like everything needs to be rosy because you're so stressed out about people thinking everything is rosy and going and buying it, but just actually getting that credibility and giving a real review. I mean, there are actually Google updates now that looked at more authentic reviews. There have been, I forget the name of the update from Google, but they want to see you really use that product, right? They want to see you with actual photos of the product in use that are not stock photos. They want to see you describe and discuss how the thing was used in your experience and what was the pros and cons of that said service. I mean, Google's aware of this again and understanding how reviews and comparisons are a very effective tool for affiliate marketing, but also for your end, like you said, yeah, I think a lot of people, especially this day and age, can see through the unauthentic reviews that are just purely for affiliate link. I've seen that in now the space I'm in, digital marketing, where people review a email service and it's more casual, like here's all the great things about it and there's really nothing wrong with it. And it's not really a review. It's just more a glorified online brochure. And from there, I don't think that adds any value. I mean, in the end, Google rewards and the users reward you for adding value. If you can add, in my case, like a comparison and do a a detailed analysis of 
this one is right for this type of person. This one is right for this type of person. People will respect that and will sign up for that said service because of the detailed analysis you gave. So since Justin and I love to dig into the numbers, and this is obviously a personal finance podcast, people are probably listening to this. They heard the $6 million number. They're like, okay, you know, I kind of get this. Like someone uses my link. I've seen these before. I get the 20 bucks for them signing up. How does that add up to like millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars? If you can think back to some of those final months, like what type of volume were you getting with signups for all these various products and services that you had, just to show people the power of SEO? Yeah, I can't give some <laughs> details because I do have totally an idea. <laughs> yeah. But what I can say is there are usually multiples. As far as that $6 million I got for the sale, I wasn't making that per year, but there are multiples for affiliate marketing. And it really depends. I've seen multiples anywhere from two to three to five to I think one company sold for almost 10 times their annual revenue. That should be pretty significant. But the usual is around three to five. Just to follow up on that, just to dig into the numbers, how much traffic did you have coming to the website and people converting? Because that just seems like an ungodly number of people. I had, I think it's a peach. And again, the interesting thing about personal finance is it happened every year. I use the analogy of it's like going to the gym. Peach come right after Christmas. And right after tax day or slowly after tax day. And it was literally the same cycle as going to the gym. You'd see the same peak numbers of people signing up for new gym memberships or going to the gym the first time come January. And it would slowly decline over that. That being said, I think peak months, we were getting 300,000 unique visitors a month or something like that around there. Wow. You know, as the person like asking the questions, I always try to put myself in the listener's shoes and think about when they're listening to the episode, what are they going to have run through their mind to kind of as like that devil's advocate? Yeah, but this is why I can't do it. And I imagine a lot of people with certain websites, they think, you know, if you got in the door early, like if you had a website back before there was 10 million versions of your website, like you just kind of automatically got to the front of the line, you automatically get a lot of traffic and things are easier for you. So like, do you think that this is repeatable, I guess? Or do you think that this is something that, you know, Investor Junkie really benefited from just how early it was? I had a business partner tell me, and this is now 2000 ex-business partner, tell me in 2010, oh, there's plenty of other investment blogs out there. You don't need to create a new one. There's already too many of them. (laughs) Just as an example, I kid you not. So meanwhile, I trusted his opinion at the time. I was somewhat devastated, but I was also like, I'm going to prove him wrong. And sure enough, it did. That being said, I mean, the opportunities do change. I mean, what is it they say? History doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. For someone to create exactly what I did and, you know, started in 2009 and sold in 2018, to create the same blog again and repeat exactly the same, no. But that being said, there's definitely opportunities. The need for people to understand investing, understand personal finance doesn't go away. It's one of the core things that people have in their life, you know, things like personal fitness, things like finance there's always a need for people to become better at those topics. So honestly, it may not be exactly the same nowadays as far as the opportunity, but the opportunity without question still exists. Is it perhaps on YouTube? I have a client and friend who's doing really well. He's killing it on YouTube. And he sold his blog as well that was in personal finance. And he's doing really well with YouTube. So you know, he's able to repeat his same success on a different medium. And I'm thinking, like Justin said, for some of our listeners out there who are probably thinking, you know, like, I don't know if I have the time or the skills or whatever to get to, you know, 300,000 visitors a month. Like, that's a massive number. And you had a huge exit with that business. But I know there's a lot of other ways to monetize and ways to monetize even if you have a smaller audience. So I was hoping you could talk about that for a little bit. I mean, that's a great point. 
even though we had 300,000, to me, it's not about the numbers, right? To me, it's about effectiveness of that audience. Affiliate marketing rewards small audiences. If anything, if they're doing online business and wanting to jump into it, affiliate marketing is actually better than other ways to monetize. You know, monetize through paid traffic or through, you know, ad banners is really horrible because you only get paid if they click on it. And that's purely a volume play. The more audience you have, in most cases, the more money you'll make. Where affiliate marketing is one of the few ways to monetize, it's not about the large audience you have. It's about how interested are they on that said topic? How much can you discuss that topic? And just let's say, do a product demonstration. You may have only five people visit a YouTube channel, but yet they convert because of they're highly motivated to sign up for that product because they liked it so much from when you demonstrated what it could do. So now let's say somebody's sitting there, they, they figured out what their niche is. They're, they're really putting the thought and the strategy of the content they're putting out, the way they're doing the titles. They decided, yep, you know, listen to Larry. We're going to go down the affiliate marketing route. And they start to want to set those up. Like, can anyone just go get into these affiliate programs? Like, what is kind of the barrier to entry? Because I think maybe some people are sitting there thinking, yeah, but I've got to get 10,000 visitors a month before they'll even let me in the door to start being an affiliate for them. That really depends on the niche and it depends on the affiliate program itself and the affiliate manager. Some will literally, if you have a pulse, sign up and you're instantly approved, right? And then there are others, um, you're laughing because you've probably done the same thing. <laughs> As you sign up for the product and you're instantly approved. And then yet there's others you haven't hear, you don't hear from them literally years later. And then maybe one day someone checks their email account and signs you, approves your account. So some of it could really depend on how active or how much affiliate marketing is used for that business. Some businesses, affiliate marketing is like an afterthought. Some really understand affiliate marketing and really use it effectively. It really depends. And that's very business specific and not even niche specific. I had that issue in the investment space. There are some businesses that really got affiliate marketing. And then there are others who would do affiliate marketing, have some really crappy affiliate system, and then just send it to the homepage. And sure enough, those affiliate programs wound up stopping after a few years because they weren't making any money for both the affiliates and for the merchant. So Ultimately, it really depends. I can't give a, a generalized answer, but what I can tell you is you should build the content out first. You should build some sort of audience at some level before you start going out to monetize it. And therefore, people will see that you're not a flash in the pan because most affiliate managers will see that bloggers or YouTubers, influencers, what have you, come and go. They'll say they're going to do something in whatever niche it is, and they're here today, and then they stop doing it after two months. So if you have you know, some sort of longevity, six months, a year at least, I think it's pretty easy to get approved for most affiliate programs. So in your example with the YouTuber who got the five viewers, but they were all like hyper-targeted, they all converted. Is there like a minimum threshold for when you should create content on something or not? Like what are the guidelines and rules you use? Like if there's this amount of search traffic or is it maybe just like, I know this topic is going to be popular in the future. Or what are some of those proxies that you set up so you don't waste your time? Good question. It's very niche specific. Like the niche I'm in now, digital marketing is much smaller than personal finance investing. So therefore, I have smaller audience requirements where for an investor junkie, I think we had the minimum of like two or 3,000 search volume a month or something like that, where now it's much lower for my own personal blog. So it can be very niche, very industry specific. That being said, you do want to make sure if you are going after SEO, there's actually search volume for it. There are some techniques I've seen as of late. Go after the ones that have zero search traffic volume. You know, if tools like HRF tell you that, and you know it's not a growing industry or growing keyword, you're going after a keyword that really has no search volume. That's not to say if you know right now something that has very low search volume according to HRF because it is backwards looking. 
but yet you know it's growing up in volume, you should go after it then. But a good example in my case was robo-advisors, right? When I first started, robo-advisors were brand new. I knew it was taking off, but yet Ahrefs showed it had very little search traffic. So from there, knew that it was an upcoming industry. And from there, built articles around that said topic. Same thing with cryptocurrency. Since the tools are backwards looking, you've got to kind of have to know the domain, right? To know the space. If you know the space is growing, you'd be foolish not to write an article on whatever topic it is, because you know the volume is going to increase. Whereas if it's not growing and staying steady, and you see there's no search volume in the tools like Ahrefs, you'd be silly to write for it. Just as a quick little tactical thing, is there a tool that you know of that somebody could use that shows it more from a view of like growth of like month over month growth to see that propensity to see that snowball effect that's coming? Yeah, Ahrefs is one of the tools I recommend and use. SEMrush is very similar to that too. But again, the problem is they're all backwards looking. You have to know that space to know what the future trends will be. So Ahrefs and SEMrush, I mean, I love Ahrefs and think it's really powerful. But for someone who's just getting started out, it is kind of cost prohibitive. Is there, I guess, a suite of free to low cost tools that you typically recommend? I'm guessing you might actually have an article on it, like free SAO tools for beginners. (laughs) No, I don't. I mean, one tool, right, I mentioned before or alluded to is Google Ads, right? Sign up for Google Ads. It's free to do. And I think you have to put a credit card, but you don't have to spend the money. You do have to register. So Google Ads has a keyword search volume, right? And that will show you it's ad related. It's not necessarily search related, but it will give you some idea of how various search volumes are. And it's coming from Google's own data. So it's pretty accurate. Ahrefs actually does have a free version. It's very limited. It can't do searches, but it does at least show you what's going on with your own site. The other tool, believe it or not, also is from Google would be Google Trends. Google Trends is a really great tool to show the zeitgeist of what's going on. Yeah, I just plugged in recently affiliate marketing and didn't realize how much it exploded in the past few years compared to Meanwhile, blogging, on the other hand, or website development or web hosting is not taken off. So it's interesting. People are wanting to do affiliate marketing in droves more, but it's not necessarily through a blog. It's through TikTok, Instagram, YouTube channels you don't own, which I find fascinating. The discussion around all the the plugins and tools makes me kind of my brain quickly go to, okay, we must be talking about a WordPress site. But if somebody out there is listening and thinking, what about the Squarespaces of the world? Like, what about, you know, those kind of website builders? Are you just like, you know, out of luck if you're wanting to go that path or? No, actually, Wix is actually really good with SEO. I mean, I'm not a fan of any of those pre-built tools because of it's very limited in the long run. Wix has gotten better with SEO in the past few years. They really made it a core focus, which is smart on their part. Squarespace too, also to a degree. I guess in general, to me, WordPress is still the number one you know, blog website out there. You'd be foolish to not use it. There's so many people that can support it. There's so many writers and editors that support it. So I think you'd be foolish not to. That being said, you know, Wix can work. I don't know. In the long run, I've never seen anyone in the online space do very well with a pre-built system like Wix or Squarespace. So we've talked about Google and YouTube, but those don't operate in a silo. I mean, Google acquired YouTube a couple of years ago. How do those two things kind of play in with one another when it comes to SEO and search? That's a good question. I've not seen any studies where, I mean, I've seen some assumptions that by putting a YouTube video on your webpage, right, your own YouTube video, let's say, it helps increase SEO because of Google, like you said, like they're both their same, you know, both the same company and likes to see more of a, their properties being used. I've not seen any studies 
that directly. I mean, you could put your own video hosted, say, on Vimeo, and it probably wouldn't make a difference. That being said, YouTube has its advantages because of its own you know, channel as well, right? Again, you shouldn't have a YouTube video of, let's say, demonstrating how to use a product, then also then put it on your website as well, discussing that same product as well, because people digest content differently. So you give people the option to not only digest it you know, through article, but also video as well. They can view, watch your video. The problem is YouTube obviously has some limitations in that, let's say you're doing a sales page, right? I'm not a fan of using YouTube for a sales page because of at the end of the video, we'll see, oh, by the way, here's other related videos you can watch as well. <laughs> like it just doesn't look really well from your messaging. Like you don't want people to be distracted on going to someone else's offer on YouTube, no less. So YouTube can be really great, but it's not necessarily used for every purpose. But as far as an article, right, it's great to supplement or support the article you already wrote. I mean, not necessarily word for word. I've seen people do word for word for basically taking an article and making it into YouTube. But having a YouTube video also discussing how to do whatever it is or a review on that said product or whatever it is of that topic, using YouTube is very effective for that well. Because, again, people digest it on YouTube as well, independently of your own blog. But yet, again, you lead them back to your blog or affiliate links and comments. There's all sorts of other ways to get them back to your site. I'm a fan of using social media to your advantage. Google and all the other social media channels work the same way. They want keep that person in that ecosystem. If anything, sometimes make it very difficult to get out of the ecosystem, like an Instagram, where you can't just link to an article on your site. You have to go to your profile page and then from there have a listicle of all the different articles for your site. That being said, it's still an effective way to, I'm a fan of getting them on a channel like social media and at some point getting them onto something you control, like your own blog, like a mailing list. The next kind of topic that came to my mind was like, I guess like sunk costs. So if you know people who are going down this route and they're trying to get focused on SEO or they may think it's going to be a slow process, I've got to keep putting content out, it's going to slowly build my SEO. And then if for some reason, like let's say they realize after two years, like they want to move from Squarespace to WordPress or they're like, hey, my name is confusing and they need to rebrand. It's like terrifying to them because they're afraid I'm about to blow up all of my SEO. Like, is that true? Like, is there any way to maintain what you've built if you need to go through some kind of rebrand? That's two questions. Rebranding and just switching from one CMS to another. If you're changing from CMSs, there are ways to redirect the URLs. Let's say the URL structure is different on Wix to WordPress. There are ways to make sure those redirects still work. And you have to obviously test it. And that you know, can get more advanced than what we want to probably cover on this podcast. But that being said, it is possible. I mean, rebranding also can be done. There are ways in Google Search Console. Let's use an example. So I bought a site called ShafarWeb.com and merged all that content and uh, emerged the content, removed some content and merged it and put it to LarryLedwood.com. I did that domain authority from that previous brand. So that's technically what you're describing, a rebranding. And you got to just make sure you redirect all those links. That's really what it comes down to. No different than, you know, going from one CMS to another. So obviously, as you've been progressing year after year after year, I mean, you made your first web page in 94 <laughs> and you're learning things. So I guess what are some of the things now that you've been working on LarryLudwig.com for, is it four years at this point? A little more than four years. Yeah. Okay. But even so that you maybe made the mistake on Investor Junkie and then realized like close to a decade later when you started Larry Ludwig and all the stuff you're working on now with affiliate marketing. Like what are some of those early mistakes that, you know, looking back, you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that, but I'm so glad that I'm doing it this way now. Believe it or not, I regretted not creating a personal brand at the same time in parallel to having that other brand, you know, corporate brand, if you will, 
I purposely made Investor Junkie where I could sell it. There were many other bloggers that either directly had their name in the URL or the whole content, a whole site was about them. So for my end, it made it very difficult to sell. And to me, you should have both. If anything, I should build another brand that's separate from me. Right now, I've been just focusing on my own personal brand just for consulting and, and what have you. So that's one thing I would recommend. Everyone should do that. You know, there's always a need for your personal brand and personal identity in this day and age, right? You do it, Cody, in your case, right? You have your own personal brand and it just made sense. But it's also you have Gold City Ventures as well. And it just works. So that's one thing. I guess outside of that, really for SEO purposes, really understood the intent and just write articles, again, publicly. What I write on my mailing list can be completely different, more storytelling, where you can't really do that on a public-facing website. When I originally started out, I started out that same way. Yeah, I told you that one client made just a mistake of is really discussing things that are really for the wrong audience. You have to know that SEO is really people that are searching for a problem, don't know you exist necessarily, and will go find your site and go, ah, this company offers X, Y, and Z, you know, to solve whatever other problems I may have as well and get them down some sales funnel, you know, or affiliate link, whatever it may be, mailing list. Well, Larry, this is obviously like a, a super nested topic and there's like so many things we could go into. Like, you know, we just kind of went over one topic. We're like, ah, that's probably too much for this episode. So like, where is the place that people can find you or is the place that people should go to as like the best resource for this kind of content to get smarter on SEO? The easiest place is just go to my personal brand, LarryLudwig.com. Awesome. Well, just want to thank you for your time today, Larry, and for sharing all this knowledge with listeners. I know we could probably talk about this for multiple hours, but like you said, we don't want to get down too many layers. We want to keep this as high level and as actionable as possible. But just want to thank you for your time today. Thank you. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to another episode of The Fi Show. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support us, the best way to do that is to leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Share this with a friend. And also, don't forget, you can find 200 plus episodes and all the information you'd ever want to have about these episodes over at thefyshow.com. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button because that way every Wednesday you can have our latest episode delivered straight to your phone. Until next time. Hey, real quick before you go, I just want to remind you that I have made my personal like budget and net worth tracking spreadsheet available. The very same one that I use to track my net worth from $38,000 to over $1.2 million available for free on our website at thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet. So you can go download that today. That's thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet.